My name's Neil Dudman. And my name's Dave Kite, and you're listening to the Nursery Business Podcast. And we are live. Hello. Good. Hello. <laughs> Who knows hello. where? <laughs> Good hello, because it could be morning, evening, afternoon, or nighttime, or people may be using this podcast to get themselves to sleep. So if we talk in a calm <laughs> and relaxing manner, and I'm going to turn the tap on in a minute for some running water, and we can get you back out of bed to go down. for a wee. <laughs> yeah. yeah well, I, I is, think it should. I think we should say good sometime. <laughs> hello and good sometime. Yeah, good sometime. Yeah, today I thought we'd have a quick chat about um, buying nurseries. You've bought a few in your time. In fact, have you Ugh. ever started any from scratch? No, not from zero scratch. And even though I've opened a new nursery this this summer in the middle of COVID, cracking timing, it was still <laughs> setting of mine that was shut for the whole of COVID. It was basically shut since the 20th of March. So we've got no existing clients. They've all gone off to school or the ones that were with us have gone to our other nurseries. So we basically have an empty building that we've owned. So it's from scratch, but we obviously knew a lot more about it, even though we've done the refurb and bits. So not really from scratch, from bare bones. So uh, we've had a nursery selling site in the past. One came across your desk uh, that you thought, oh, that, that might be interesting to me. What do you think? It's the first thing is is something comes up in my area. Is that the first process? I think so. Yes. Where I'm geographically based, there's a the property prices are crazy high. So when a place becomes available, it gets your attention automatically. So anywhere within an hour and a half traveling of me bar London, I'm interested in. So I'm going to jump on it and at least find out what it's all about. So criteria um, first, because we have we have some support members in the Zoom calls that live on the south coast, yet their nurseries are in Stoke and places like that. Like that. And um, historically, I always wanted to be near them, but we've opened a couple of settings on the south coast in Totten, which is probably now about 45, 50 minutes away drive, but it, it doesn't pose any problems. So would I hesitate going an hour and a half, two hours away? Probably not. No, not for the right nursery. But you have to work out how it works with your team. So 45, 50 minutes to travel to a nursery for an area manager or for another manager to visit or for staff to move around for training. It's not the end of the world. But you start going hour and a half, then it becomes a bit more difficult. Obviously, if you're in central London, 40, 40, 45 minutes in the car could be three miles um it 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 just depends where you are luckily it's motorway all the way literally i live half a mile to a mile from the motorway junction the nursery is about a mile from the motorway junction the other end so there's very little a road traffic it wouldn't worry me now it would have done in the past due to staffing issues and that sort of thing but now no issue at all so the first criteria is it um in the right area second criteria lease or what's the other word <laughs> freehold lease, lease or, or freehold. freehold yeah you can see i'm being 
very alert today. So yes. lease or freehold, yeah. you, you prefer leases to freeholds, don't you? At this Sorry. precise minute, it suits our cash, our asset value and what we want to achieve. We're at this precise moment on a mission to create cash and as quickly as possible. So mm. investing in freehold at this precise minute is not is not on the cards. Whether that will be on the cards in the next two years, I suspect it probably will be. And we will change I, I, tact. I think it's a really good idea that I, I believe that commercial premises are going to be under pressure. With people not going back to work, I think that offices will be released and buildings will need to be repurposed. And I think it's a good idea to uh, save up a deposit and then transfer the lease if you can, or transfer the nursery into, into a building. My thinking with that is, if you can buy a property and move the nursery in there, then that makes a tremendous pension scheme because residential problem, property ooh, has its issues. Commercial property is really scary because offices are, being, uh, are empty, but a nursery building, there is always high demand. Some of our master plan members are desperately looking all the time for buildings that they can use for a nursery. I think, I've, I think come early, mid-2021, there's going to be a, a massive squeeze on commercial property. And I think if you're in the nursery sector, it's going to be a great time to, to get onto those freeholds or even get more leaseholds transferred to D1 nursery use. Absolutely. Um, if my historical question and argument to you is that I can buy two or three leasehold nurseries for the same price that I can buy one freehold. So if we're in a building cash scenario, I can make much more money short term via leasehold nurseries than freehold nurseries. So when you're talking, so if you were buying a commercial property, you'd probably actually have to buy to find 30 to 40 percent deposit. It's not like a, a residential property where you can probably get between 10 and 20 percent as a deposit. With commercial property, they tend to want a bigger deposit. Have you found when you're buying on a leasehold, how much of the purchase price can you borrow? Or do you have to put in cash? You can borrow 100% almost. Um, as, as long as you've got a good trading record and you're borrowing the money from the right people via a broker, anything is possible. Around here, for argument's sake, one of my nurseries, it's retail freehold property. It's probably worth, one of them is worth about 400 and the other one is probably worth about eight, 900 on the open market as a residential type property. In order to move a nursery into the £900,000 property, you're looking at putting £350,000 down. I could put that £350,000 into two or even three struggling nurseries that we can improve and I can start making profits straight away. So you, you really need to decide what you want to do and how much money you have to put down. So if a nursery is worth, a, a, if a nursery has a profit of around 50 grand, then I think the figure that we work on is about 150, about three times net profit, isn't it? Ish, um, yes. Yeah. 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 So that's the ballpark figures. If you were to spend that money on a building, 
there's very little you can do to improve the value of that building. First of all, you would have to invest 10, 20, 30 grand on decorating. Easy, easy. Yeah. Quickly burn through that. So instead of actually getting an immediate return on the building, you actually have to invest it. And if, if property prices, if commercial property is not going up, then, or is empty, then the prices won't be going up. The demand won't be there. Whereas if you take your nursery and you've got 50 grand, the profits are 50 grand, so you buy it for 150 grand and you go in there and you can, you can just add 30 grand to that property, that, that mm. profit, you go from 50 to 80, then all of a sudden the valuation of your nursery is 240. And you borrow based on the level of your, uh, the value of your turnover. It's not to do with the fixed assets or anything like that. It's simply to do how much revenue can you get in. So if you buy a nursery and you boost and you fill it and you put up your prices a little bit, you go from 60% occupation to 80%, all of a sudden you've got a, a massively more valuable property. So the nursery has gone from 150 to 240 in probably the space of a year. You know, Easy. It's really maybe even six months, maybe even six yeah. months, which is staggering. So why would you not do that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, um, this is what we're doing at the minute and what we have done. But in, as I say, in two or three, two or three years time, we're going to start investing our funds because I, I always say to people and say to our, our clients, the nurses will always make you cash. But in order to get the lifestyle you want, you need to invest that cash wisely. And it's where that cash goes into what vehicle and how it goes will secure your future. So that's where we're heading. Do you mean cars and holidays? (laughs) (laughs) To me, cars and holidays are important because we could be dead tomorrow. So you, you have to have one eye on the now and a very big eye on the future. Absolutely. Yeah. So we had one mastermind member who bought second nursery. It turned out to be a disaster. The the manager in there was a daughter of the previous owner, grossly overpaid, etc. It, it was a real mess. And this um, poor owner uh, was really pulling the hair out and she was just going to give the nursery away. And I persuaded her to actually consider closing the nursery completely, which she did. And then just rent out that nursery, that nursery building. She bought a leasehold and she managed to find herself a, a tenant. So her mortgage is being paid. It's on a, it's a commercial loan. So it'd be paid in 15 years time. And in 15 years time, she's sat in a building with a tenant that takes care of uh, the building. That's the one Absolutely. thing about nursery owners is that you mm. know, for, for them to fill the nursery, it's got to be bright, sparkly, clean, well-maintained and safe. Hey, you know, so- hey, back off on the bright bit. Back off on the bright <laughs> bit. But it's got to be sparkly, clean, nice. It's got to be inviting and it is, it's got to be tidy. Cared for. Should we say cared for? Cared for. Well cared for. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the perfect tenant. Now, so in 15 years time, all being well, the, the nursery will still be plugging along. If not, somebody else will come in and take that opportunity because they'll feel like they can do a good job. Uh, and now the future's bright. She's looking at getting an income of maybe 25 grand a year from that, that property. To get a pension pot that generates you 25 grand, you've got to be, in this current day, you've got to have a pot that's probably 20 times the income. You're talking about something that's, um, you've got to have had a pot of, of maybe 
half a million pounds. That's not so easy to get, you know. Absolutely not. So there's a point whereby you go from short-term cash flow to long-term revenue generation and little involvement. So there is a threshold. So buy your nurseries, use the cash to buy some properties, and then use that to give you a, a long-term property portfolio, which will give pension money for many years to come. And apart from which, the property is going up. You know? So that somebody else has paid you to acquire that asset. You can draw against that asset anytime you like. You can, you've got a, a property that's worth two or 300,000 pounds. We can go to the bank and you can use it as collateral to do anything you want. Mm. Okay, so you quite like leasehold, there's, uh, et cetera. What's the next thing that you're looking for? Are you looking for it being full or partially full? What's, the, what's your next concern? To me, I'm looking for, as a, as a buyer, although you can, you try to do a buying process in a good and honest vein, you're looking for a deal. You're, you're looking to try and beat the value down by whatever means possible without being insulting to the vendor. Now, it's, there's a, it's a very fine line of being an idiot and upsetting people or getting some kind of deal. So I'm personally looking for something that we can improve because that's what we do. So I want to see, I want to see healthy-ish numbers, but if it's 20, 25, 40% under capacity, then that's interesting to me. Because you can fill it using a refurb and some good marketing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, cool. So are there any no-nos? What would turn right, what to make turn around and go, you know, this is not for me? What, what, what would immediately turn you off? For me, for me personally, would be pack away. It doesn't, I'm lazy, so it doesn't float my boat. It's not anything that I would want to be involved with. However, I had a conversation last night with one of our clients who are, I will speak to you offline about. They've got an opportunity to purchase a pack away term time only setting that's only open four and a half school days a week. However, there's scope to open it all year round, eight or six, and perhaps less of a pack away. So it, you have to do your diligence as to what the opportunities are because you can polish a turd and you can make something better by just thinking a little bit outside the box and asking the right questions to the people that are your landlord, for argument's sake. We do have a mastermind member, I keep referring to mastermind members, that went off, they, had, they have a term time only setting, and of course the summer came and they had eight weeks off and they went to the down under for an extended period, was it a month or six weeks? Yeah. You know? So having, yeah, yeah, having yeah. If, you, if you like your summer holidays, yeah, then... The advantage... Yeah, I can yeah. see the, the, the advantage. Our latest setting was term time only. Now it's open all year round. and But all of our other settings are open all year round anyway, so it doesn't really matter a huge amount to us I, anyway. I bet you've come across unrealistic prices. <laughs> oh, yes. That's my favourite <laughs> subject. My absolute favourite subject. Yeah. yeah, you. I've been there, seen it, done it, got the T-shirt yeah interesting how do you approach that so somebody turns around and they're doing like 30 grand profit 
And so in your books, we're, like, we're talking about 90,000, maybe 80,000, 90,000. And as you say, on repeated, repeatedly, even something that's got uh, almost no profit has an intrinsic value because it's got potential. Um, so how do you, if somebody's asking for a 180 grand where you are, or you're looking at the same 90 to 100, how do you approach that? What, what would, you, would you walk away or would you make an offer? Or what would you do? I would ask them to justify it or to tell me how they've justified it. And they may turn around and say, I've had X, Y, Z from agency X, Y, Z. And they've told me it's worth 200,000 pounds with five years left on the lease. I can turn around and say, okay, fine. So you want 200,000 pounds for your nursery. It's making 30,000 pounds a year. And I'm going to be here for a maximum of five years. Okay. In that five years, I'm going to make, 150,000 pounds. So if I'm evicted in five years time, which no one knows, I'm out of pocket 50 grand and I've worked for five years to for nothing. So I've worked for five years, bloody hard doing everything else that comes into it uh, for the privilege of owing another 50,000 pound. Sorry, it doesn't work. I want that money back over a, a three year period. So that's why that sits oddly enough quite nicely, which this wasn't planned, to being a value of the three times the 30, which is 90,000 pounds. And there's no way anybody could justify that's worth 200 unless it's got a long lease or there's scope for the new owner to change and improve and fill. However, that comes with a caveat. Why should I pay for the privilege of my expertise and skill and my effort to create that. It, it, it's not the vendor who should gain from that, it should be me. And so that brings us nicely onto lease length. That's a huge factor, as you said, in valuation. It is and it isn't. It depends who you're leasing from. If you're leasing from a county council, they won't do any more than five years blanket. It's, that's their maximum that they will do any lease for. But generally with a county council, you won't be replaced. They won't give it to somebody else in five years time. So you you do have a a tiny bit of sort of unwritten, unsecured security, if that's such a thing. Yeah, it's, it's a peace of mind more than anything to think, okay, the council's normally played by the ball. If they've got a good tenant, if it's working, why would they give this building to someone else? So you can generally run with that private, you're going to want at least 10 years, preferably with and a break so on your side. You, you've had the experience of having an annual contract with a school, haven't you? Was it an after-school club that you uh, they decided We've, to bring in house? Yeah, we had the opportunity to purchase an after-school club and it wasn't really in our mindset to venture into that marketplace but it was uh, a really good place without competition uh, next door to a really popular busy school with in commuter belt town it was in fleet and it was well, it's a little gold mine actually in all fairness it's it it outperforms any nursery by two or threefold bear in mind the amount of children that we can have the low rent and obviously the more flexible staffing and that was worth, let's just say it was worth £120,000, but it only had, at the time, a three-month rolling contract on the tenancy of the clubhouse where it, where it was. So, therefore, it's not worth £120,000. 
So with that, then the, what you need to do is to persuade the vendor that it's a shared risk. So it's worth a lot of money, but only if you stay there. So oh. if you agree to pay so much per year over five to 10 years, then what you're doing is you're saying, we'll run it for you effectively and we'll give you a share of the profits. And so you can get out of it. And maybe there's a cash lump sum plus uh, annual payments. And something that's actually worth 120 grand, actually you've got to share the risk here because if the risk is, if the um, lease is terminated, it's worth nothing, absolutely nothing. So you've got to find a good balance and you can agree with them and say, yeah, it's worth some money, but the risk is too high and we have to share the risk. I had no issue paying them 120,000 pounds. It was worth it. It was more than worth it. I would have probably paid more, but the issue was how we work the payments. So they wanted to sell. I wanted to buy. They could completely see the the tenancy or the short-term let as a barrier. So what we agreed, we agreed to split the asking price over three payments payable on the one year anniversary that we're there. And as long as we, if we got thrown out of this site through no fault of our own, no further payments were required. If we left of our own accord or we messed up, we were negligent, blah, 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 we would still have to pay that amount of money on the anniversaries, which just seemed a no-brainer for both parties to move forward and agree on. So it all went through solicitors and relatively straightforward in the end. But it was a case of somebody wanted to sell, somebody wanted to buy. Both parties were realistic and understood the elephant in the room and we worked a way forward and we paid four lots of £40,000 each on the anniversary. And when the business was making 60, 70 per year, it wasn't a problem to, to do so. The purchase actually came out of the profits that the business made. So it was a no money down purchase. It was a well, no brainer. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But you said something there that's really quite important. Where you've got a slightly more complicated payment structure, it's a really good idea to nail it down with, with um, a legal agreement that's properly formatted and not just a handshake and a, and a written piece of paper. Everything goes through solicitors. It has to. It's not worth doing it otherwise. Yeah, even for a small deal, if there's a lease involved, then it has to anyway. But yeah. Cool. So um, that um, so that, that's the, the basics really of what you do to demonstrate that you're interested and that you've made an initial offer. Would you normally make an offer in writing? Would you just write it, do it verbally to start off with? I think it depends on the relationship that you have with the person that you're buying from. If there's an agent involved, I'm very much a people person. So I will always want to speak directly to the vendor. If you have another person in the way, it just complicates things and perhaps your message doesn't get across in the right way. So I would always pick up the reins and deal with the person direct once the original contact has been made and the, and the viewing's been commenced as such. And I think you get a much more responsive approach to any questions and information that you're asking for because sometimes it can take days and days to find out basic information because the vendor will probably come onto this in part two and three but the vendor doesn't have everything ready and it then takes a few days for emails backwards and forwards via the agents whereas if you can just deal direct to the person you can ask exactly what you want them to supply you and they can then go away and do that 
as a, as a final note uh, to this section, um, I would recommend not being needy. If you need this nursery, you, you put yourself in a very weak position because the chances are you'll spend too much money on buying it. So if you can actually try to be blasé that if the deal happens, okay, you know, walk away if it's too expensive. It's really going to an auction. When you go to an auction, you should never walk into an auction to buy a property uh, without knowing what your final price is. Uh, a quick anecdote to finish with. Uh, we were going to buy 49 flats, student flats. And we had an agreement with the bank that we could offer 4.2 million. The guy that, was, uh, that we were working with who um, sourced the deal started the bidding at 3.9. It went 3.9 four, uh, 4.1, and then somebody offered 4.2, and then we grabbed his hand and said, that's it, you get your hands down now. <laughs> yeah, so it's a really good idea to, to open a negotiation with a good idea of what you're prepared to pay and then let it go if it gets too much. I get that, and I understand that, but there is a very fine line between being very blasé and showing and making the right noises and the right impression. I tell people that I'm interested because then I hope that when I talk to them, I have said, I'm interested. I am going to make an, an, an offer. It fits well with what we want to do and going forward. However, give me a week to analyze everything. I don't want you to talk to anybody else. I want first refusal. Give me seven days and I'll come back to you with an, an offer. And if we can't agree a price, then feel free to do what you want to do so i do show an interest because i think that's it's just part of the wooing process because yeah. a vendor has to woo uh, a buyer and a buyer has to woo a vendor there's not many sales and purchases that go through without a good relationship or a need to buy and a need to sell cool that's good let's uh, wrap that up I, I think part two and part three are going to be very informative. So if you're listening to this and you are interested in buying nurseries or even selling a nursery, then uh, tune in to, to part two, which is coming up shortly. Yeah. Have a good week. Uh, thank you. there are any topics from today's episode of the nursery business podcast and you want to find out more or ask questions or have suggestions email podcast at your nurserybusiness.co.uk take care guys